Good morning, friends, and very happy Easter to one and all. I hope that some children of, of all ages, indeed, are able to join us online today as we celebrate Easter. I know that the Easter Bunny made his rounds to my home this morning here at Ananda Village, but I would like to share with you just a little of the true story of Easter that we celebrate and that is celebrated around the world on this day in the spirit of Jesus Christ. We know 2,000 years ago that Jesus was put to death in a great tragedy and we celebrate his resurrection. But you know in just two days prior when he was nailed to a cross by evil men in that unholy and terrible act, Jesus spoke the most beautiful words when he said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And that is the love of God and Christ that we celebrate today and his return. When two days later, we know that his disciples, his closest followers, were gathered not only in mourning, but in confusion, in darkness. His closest followers had gathered in Jerusalem, in a little house there, and they were worried and troubled. Would the soldiers come for them too, who had killed Jesus? And why had Jesus died? Well, we know that early on Sunday morning, that very first Easter, when just a few of the disciples went to the tomb there where Jesus' body lay and a great stone had sealed the entrance, it was rolled aside and there were angels, angels of light present there and the body of Jesus was gone. And it was Mary, most loving, her heart full of love for Jesus, her master, and God, with tears streaming down her face, she knelt there at the entrance of the tomb amongst the angels, and she beheld a figure of light, a man who spoke to her. And through her tears and through the morning sunshine, when he said her name, Mary, she knew that it was her master, Jesus Christ. And he said, I have returned but not yet completely. He said, go and tell the other disciples, I will come to them. And in her love and wonder and disbelief, Mary went to the other disciples who were gathered in that gloomy home, and she told them of the return of their master, Jesus. But how could they believe after everything that had happened even with the miracles of Christ that they had witnessed, knowing the love and the power of God through Jesus Christ, they wondered and doubted and disbelieved. Could it really be that Jesus had returned? And it was later that same day, two other disciples, followers of Christ, were traveling outside Jerusalem on a road when another traveler had joined them and they did not recognize him at first, but he spoke to them with wisdom 
with kindness and love, and he blessed them. And it was only when they stopped at a little inn and they broke bread with him, and again, he gave them some words of blessing that they knew at once. How could they not that it was their master, Jesus, returned? And in their excitement, in their own wonder and disbelief, they ran too to the other disciples, back to Jerusalem, back to that home, and they told of what they had seen. And still, still the other disciples wondered, how could it be? How could Jesus return from death? What could it mean? And it was in this wondering and disbelief, in this hoping against hope, that in their midst, in an image of light at first, Jesus Christ appeared amidst his disciples there in that house, and he spoke to them. He had returned, and he had come not just for those few disciples, or even for those gathered in Jerusalem, his followers. He had returned with his message of God's love for all the world. And as he blessed those disciples gathered there with peace and love, he told them to be kind to one another and to have greater faith in God the Father. And he told them to spread this great message of love, of Easter, of God's blessings through Jesus Christ, through all the world, and to tell of this great love and joy of God. And just as we strive to live in that love of God, in our kindnesses to one another, in our joy, in all life, in man and nature, in friends and family, we celebrate that love of God, of Christ together in this wonderful spirit of Easter. Oh, many blessings and happy Easter, everyone. Thank you, Badri. That was quite beautiful. And once again, we want to welcome everyone to our Easter Sunday service here from the Temple of Light at Ananda Village. And we hope that through the music and the stories and the thoughts we share, that you'll be able to experience the spirit of the risen Christ, the resurrected Christ within your own consciousness. So let's begin with, well, not really beginning, but we're, let's now listen to the selection from Rays of the One Light by Swami Kriyananda. This is Resurrection for Every Soul. And I would like to just pause and thank Swami Kriyananda on this Easter day for everything he gave us and continues to give us for, so that we may all, or our spirits may rise into Christ consciousness. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. In the Gospel of St. John, chapter 20, we read the inspiring account of Jesus' resurrection. 
the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in their midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. The resurrection of Jesus, doubted by many, but affirmed by those who were close to him, was a miraculous event, though one not unique in history. For many great saints of other religions have appeared to their disciples after death. Sometimes their appearances have been as that of Jesus was, in flesh and blood form, and not only in vision. Paramahansa Yogananda relates in Autobiography of a Yogi the account of his guru, Sri Teshwar's resurrection after his earthly passing. Miracles of this type are revealed only rarely to the masses, but accounts of them related by men and women of reputed truthfulness have inspired many devotees with faith in the reality of subtler than material states of existence. Resurrection, Yogananda explained, means transformation, ultimately, from any lower state of being to a higher one. Worldly consciousness cannot imagine such transformation except in terms of perhaps an improvement of the present mess of pottage with the addition of a new flavoring. Divine consciousness, however, is capable of taking the base metal of worldliness and transforming it into the spiritual gold of divine wisdom and love. In keeping with this truth, the Bhagavad Gita in the ninth chapter tells us, Ah, ye into this ill world are come, fleeting and false. Set your faith fast on me, fix heart and thought on me, adore me, bring offerings to me, make me prostrations, make me your supremest joy and undivided unto my rest, your spirits shall be guided. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. Good morning, and I too would like to welcome all of you to Easter Sunday service here at the Village Temple, the Temple of Light. I'll read a passage from Whispers from Eternity. These are prayer demands to God 
written by Yogananda. This is the prayer demand to the holy vibration for omnipresence. O holy vibration, boom on the shores of my consciousness, break the limiting boundary of my body consciousness, reverberate through my body, mind and soul, through my surroundings, through all the cities and lands of this earth, through all the planets, throughout the universe and every atom particle of creation, unite my consciousness with thy cosmic consciousness. I thought it would be helpful and interesting to share some of Yogananda's teachings in a little more depth on the topic of resurrection. Um, first, let's go back because this week, uh, let's go back to the time of Jesus, the time of the uh, crucifixion, because it's helpful to realize how quickly and how shockingly this all took place. So today we're on Sunday, which for the Jewish religion is the first day of the week, their holy day being Saturday, the Sabbath. So here it is Thursday evening, last Thursday, and Jesus calls together his 12 disciples, and he has what is known as the Last Supper. He shares with them and breaks bread and serves wine. And that Last Supper, the symbol of those servings of his offerings to his disciples has become the central ceremony of Christianity, the mass or communion as it's called variously. And so the symbol of bread, breaking of the bread, the symbol of the wine is repeated daily throughout the world as a remembrance of that. But here we are, this is Thursday night. After that dinner, this Last Supper, he goes with three of his closest disciples. Think of the inner core of all of those disciples, Peter, John, and James. And he asks them to accompany him, and he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he begins praying very deeply and very earnestly, and he asks them to pray with him, to stay and stay awake and watch with him. But maybe being heavy with food, with wine, they can't stay awake, they fall asleep. And Jesus prays to God, and he says, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nonetheless, let thy will be done. And he repeats that prayer three times. But he knows, because he's omniscient, he knows what's coming. And soon arrives a group, some priests, uh, uh, some soldiers, and Judas. And Judas comes and signifies who Christ is by kissing him on the cheek so that the soldiers now can arrest him. And immediately he's taken to Jerusalem and he uh, begins to be questioned. And throughout the night he's questioned and he has told Peter before this event, 
that three times before the cock crows, you will deny me. And so Peter is there, of course, in shock and in disbelief. And three times the crowd says, he's one, he's one of his disciples. There's, there's one of them. And the priests or the soldiers come and say, are you one of the disciples of Jesus? Do you know him? Do you know about him? No, no, I don't know him. Three times Peter denies him. He carries that guilt with him. But that's just the way it was destined to be. In the morning, Jesus is taken and tried and convicted. And in the afternoon, he is taken and crucified. He dies on the cross. And that evening, because at dusk starts the Sabbath, that evening, they can't even take him and bury him. His disciples, his friends, his mother can't take him and bury him. So he's taken by soldiers and put in the tomb, as we know. So the next day, Saturday, yesterday, the disciples are in hiding because, well, they've seen what happened to their master. They've been accused of following him. They're frightened. They're afraid. They're in hiding. But that's the Sabbath, and nothing, no work can be done on that day according to the uh, laws of the Jewish religion. And so the, as early as possible on Sunday, when, when uh, the Sabbath has now passed, Mary goes to the tomb, and we know that she finds the huge stone that's been placed there rolled away, and Jesus is gone. And then she sees his form, and as Badri so beautifully uh, related to us, then he comes and he appears to the disciples. So this very dramatic taking place over three days, Thursday night, Friday, Saturday, and now Sunday, um, extremely quick but dramatic uh, from the depths of despair and denial to the joy of Easter. And it's the great central, one might say, story of Christianity. Now, I would like to talk a little more about Master's teachings on resurrection. Swami referred to them, but not, not in much depth. So let's start with the resurrection of Jesus. Master said that this is the highest kind of resurrection, that Resurrection represents, as you heard in the reading, transformation from a lower state to a higher state. And so I'm going to talk about other stages of resurrection that Master talked about. But we'll start with the very highest, which is the resurrection of Jesus. So how is it possible that a Master, Jesus being a Master, is able after death to recreate a body. Well, Master explains that quite clearly. He said that in order for a Master to be able to do that, he has to be deeply in tune. All delusion has to have gone from him, all vestiges of delusion, because he has to be not only of the understanding, this is not intellectual, this is realization, that the only thing 
that really exists is God's consciousness, and that God's consciousness has been put into thought, then into vibration or energy, and finally that manifests into matter. And so that process of taking spirit and manifesting it into matter, a great master has to have become completely realized. And when he is able to be completely realized, know that his unity with God is complete, that there's nothing else left, no delusion left in him, then he's able to do the same kind of process that God does. And so what God does is he takes, takes vibration and uh, energy and he creates atomic structure with it. And out of that atomic structure is created any form whatsoever. And so Jesus, not uniquely as Swami points out, but Jesus being one with God, not only understands, but is able to replicate that process. And so for him to resurrect a body, it's just a matter of rearranging some atomic structure. Now, God does it all the time. God helps us create a body. Imagine this miracle. Here we are, when the sperm and ovum unite, a soul comes into that cell and that cell begins to divide. And over the next nine months, the miracle of life happens. So God working through prana, working through the mother, the mother eats, I don't know, fruit smoothies for breakfast, um, tofu salad for lunch, lentil soup for dinner. And over a period of nine months, that material is taken and formed into a living, conscious baby. It's an absolute miracle that we don't really contemplate very much. So that's, one might say, erection. That's the creation of a life form. But once that baby, now hopefully grown, perhaps grown old, dies, that baby does not have the consciousness, or that person does not have the consciousness that Jesus had that allows him or her to manipulate the atomic structure of the universe and recreate a body or to resurrect. But masters do. Sri Yukteswar demonstrated that. Babaji in our line has been doing this for several centuries. He keeps creating, recreating his body, creating a golden palace, because they are at that highest level, being unified with God, are able to manifest the laws of creation that God uses to create this world. But Master points out that they don't just arrive there. We don't just arrive at that Christ consciousness without a process of going through increasing. Remember, the reason that Jesus is able to do that is because there's no longer any shadow of delusion remaining. And so with no delusion, he recognizes that he is one with God.
and that so is every atom of creation, and he can manipulate it. But it is the overcoming of delusion, as Swami pointed out in the reading, that is the real process by which we go toward resurrection. So Master, in this teaching, talked about several levels of resurrection. One is on a physical level, the next on a mental and emotional level, then on a spiritual level, and only after we resurrect through all of those are we able to arrive at the point where Jesus did, where there's no delusion left. So Master talks about resurrection on a physical level, that in order to do resurrection on a physical level, we need to transform, transmute our ignorance about the physical body into uh, knowledge or into wisdom about the physical body. And he talks very practically, he talks about the, 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 the diet that we should eat, that in order to have a healthy body, because we're still thinking that we're a body at this point, in order to have a healthy body, we should eat mainly fruits and vegetables, raw if possible, some grains, some, some uh, juices, and um, just a healthy, vitalizing body. He said amusingly, a rattlesnake at least gives you a warning before it injects its poison. But the foods most people eat, white bread and sweets, they poison you without any warning. He's, he gives a whole teaching on this. But gradually, as we begin to obey the proper laws of taking care of the body and doing right by it, then we're ready for the next higher level of it. And Master, in his teachings, says it's not really the food we eat or the water that we drink or, or the outer things that keep us alive. They're just condensed forms of prana. And so what we need to do in order to resurrect from delusion about the body is to realize that this body is just made of prana. And so he gives us practical teachings on that. He gives us the energization exercises where we take this body and we tense it and relax and we feed it with prana. Jesus gives teachings on this. He goes off into the desert for 40 days and fasts. And at the end of that, he says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. So prana. Master in autobiography gives two chapters devoted, one to Teresa Neumann. Interestingly, she also, she, not only does she not eat, so she's living on prana, but she has the weekly vision of the, this dramatic event that we've just been describing. And Master says that is because she was demonstrating to the world the reality of those events doubted by many people. And he also talks about another saint, uh, Giribala, who exists on prana alone. Why does he put that 
teaching in the autobiography because he wants us to understand that we live by prana. He also recommends as part of diet that we fast one day a week or two or three days a month. And why does he do that? He says because when the prana comes into the body only through the, primarily through food and enters the body, when we don't understand higher teachings, the prana itself gets body bound and lazy. And so if you fast, you create the conditions by which you remember the prana that is feeding you remembers its divine source, not its physical source. And so Master gives very practical teachings on how to resurrect from body consciousness because eventually in order to get to Christ's level, we have to know that this body isn't real. We have to know that it's made of energy because if we don't know that, how are we going to resurrect it? We can't. So then he also talks about resurrection on a mental level and an emotional level. And remember, resurrection is the transmutation from a lower state into a higher state. So on a mental or emotional level, what are lower states? They're wrong attitudes, they're wrong feelings, they're wrong thoughts. And so Master gives a lot of teachings about how to attune our consciousness with the proper laws of living. Gives teachings on the yamas and the niyamas, which are the right way to, the yamas are how to avoid that which is wrong. The niyamas are how to do that which is good, and so on. Uh, master's teachings are just filled with wonderful, wonderful, practical advice. So gradually, we have to rid the mind and rid the feeling nature, the chitwa, of wrong feelings and wrong thoughts. Feeling precedes thought. So we have to work primarily with our feelings. How do we do that? Master again gives us very practical teachings. Feel the positive flow of expansive energy in your heart. Feel friendship, compassion, kindness, goodness, caring, and open your heart ever wider and wider to include everyone so that you become more Christ-like in your feelings. Christ gives the Beatitudes in, the, in, in that beautiful verse from the Bible. So the great masters teach us to purify our heart. And then if we do that and take the emotions of the heart and turn them into devotion for God, then the heart will naturally become pure and when the heart is pure, the thoughts will become pure. Master also said that if we can live in joy, perhaps one might say the purest of the feeling aspects, that, that which God manifested the universe with, if we can live in joy, then automatically we will know what to do in every situation. Live in the high vibration of feeling 
and the mind follows. If we live in God's joy, the mind knows these laws. And then Master talks about um, also the spiritual aspect. And the spiritual aspect essentially is that we have to learn spiritually that we are not confined to the body or the ego. And so he gives us the techniques that we practice, techniques of pranayama, techniques of kriya yoga. All of that is meant in order to help us in deep, first of all, it's meant, these techniques are meant to calm and still the mind. And in the stillness of the mind, we begin to realize that we are not the body and personality, we are not the ego, that we are the soul, which remember, we started out with the little soul coming in at conception. The soul is, has been immortal. It's been incarnating again and again and again. And so in this life, it's come into this body and this personality carrying with it the train of bodies from past lives, of memories, of tendencies, of traits. And so in this life, we're a reflection of what we have been before. But being spiritual, the spiritual resurrection that we're after is that we realize that we're the soul. We're not the body and we're not the personality, that we are the everlasting soul and that we are not the ego. And when we can still our minds sufficiently, then Master said, we will be able to withdraw the life force from the body. The body becomes as if inert or dead, and we are consciously able to take the soul and exit from the body. He said, when we're able to do that, we cross a great threshold, one might say. Now, Christ's disciples could do that. Peter said, I protest by the Christ that is within me. I die daily, meaning that he was able to withdraw that life force from the body and exit the body, still being conscious, because we aren't the body. The body is the vehicle for the soul. But most of our spiritual practice is to get us to the point where we experience that. And when we can experience that ability to consciously uh, identify ourselves not as the body, but as the soul. And when the soul is able to produce, um, withdraw all of the prana from the body and exit, consciously exit, that's the state of sabhikalpa samadhi. And then we kind of come back into the delusion that we're this body and personality again. And for some time that goes on until we're able to stay permanently in the state of understanding that we're unified with God in Nirbhakalpa Samadhi. And in that way, we have resurrected spiritually from, from the body-bound, mind-bound, uh, feeling-bound 
consciousness of ego into the expansive unity with God. And Christ, as I said, was at an even higher state because he had achieved that consciousness, but he also had no remaining karma to, to work with. And so when he came into this life, he came with a purpose, as these great masters do, and their purpose is always, they come messengers of the love and compassion of God to help resurrect us out of lower understanding into higher understanding. And so you and I have the task in front of us of trying to go through that process of recognizing that we're made only of prana. Try to feel yourself as energy. Do it during the day in meditation. Recognize that your consciousness, the mind and feelings are only extensions of God. Live in the purity of that. Of course, there's a battle to do that, but that's, that's our task. And then in deep meditation, to do the techniques to withdraw the prana so that we can realize that we're the soul, not the ego, and exit the body. And if we can do that, my friends, we will be resurrected from the delusion that keeps us in ego. And as Master said to Swami, everybody is destined to become a Christ. The story you've probably heard of Swami was asked, because he had a beard in those days, it was relatively rare to um, to portray Christ in a Christmas pageant. And he did that. And everybody said, oh, how much he, and so he returned. And Master said, oh, everyone is saying how much you looked like Christ. And Swami said to him very sincerely, he said, Master, I would rather be like Christ than look like Christ. And Master just kind of brushed it off he said, that will come. Of course, he's saying that for all of us. We are all destined to become Christ-like. That will come. But we have to go through these phases of lower resurrection until we're ready, until there's no more delusion left, and then we will go into that state. God bless you.